Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. Great economic report today. Things are looking good. Russian aggression does pose an immediate and sharp threat. Threats and challenges in the Indo-Pacific region that we have to make sure that we're ready for. 300,000 people that have come through this year alone, they've been trespassing. And I don't remember seeing a letter going out to anybody. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. Friday's edition of News and Views. As always, lots to talk about. Unfortunately, the economic news is not too good. For the first time in 20 years, mortgage rates have topped 7%. Wow. I mean, how? It, what, two years ago, it was below 3 A year ago, what was it? I mean, this is just, well, since the beginning of 2022, this calendar year, the Fed has increased rates by 300 basis points. March, it went up a quarter of a point. May, it went up a half a point. June, it went three quarters of a point. July, three quarters of a point. September, three quarters of a point. And chances are we'll see at least one more raise this year, if not two. Uh, Thank you, Joe. Do appreciate that. The U.S. government apparently wants to argue against North Carolina lawmakers at the Supreme Court. The Biden administration's DOJ is so opposed to North Carolina legislature overseeing elections and election law. The Biden DOJ plans to argue in front of the Supreme Court. In other words, they now want to be included in oral arguments. We'll find out uh, probably in the next couple of days whether that will happen or not. In briefs filed on Wednesday, U.S. Solicitor General Elizabeth uh, Pelogar asked to be allowed to participate in the case and said if the court sides with North Carolina's argument, it would, quote, would have severely disrupt the administration of elections around the nation, forcing states to hold state and federal elections under different rules and flooding the federal courts, especially this court, with new election challenges. I don't think so. (laughs) The North Carolina state legislature is, they're following the U.S. Constitution and the state constitution. And for that, this progressive government wants to say, oh, that that will upset everything. That's essentially what they're saying. If we follow the constitution, the U.S. Constitution and the state of North Carolina Constitution, oh, that will upset everything. We'll have to go to court all the time. Yeah, they want to follow the law, and you want to do whatever you darn well please. There's no guarantee the Supreme Court will allow the Department of Justice to join in the oral arguments. That is scheduled for uh, December the 7th. The North Carolina legislative branch, uh, Moore and other Republican lawmakers said, Tim Moore and other Republican lawmakers said, Um, They should have the power to pass laws affecting federal elections without state courts being able to rule those laws unconstitutional. And that's pretty much how it's always been. The only difference is the Republicans now get to make the choices. The Republicans now get to create the election maps. When the Democrats were in there, you never heard any of this. And the Republicans are proposing... Hey, let's go by the same rules the Democrats followed for decades, centuries. Now we're in charge. We're going to follow the same rules they did. They did whatever they darn well please. Now we will because elections have consequences. 
And it wasn't until the activist North Carolina Supreme Court went against the North Carolina Constitution, went against the U.S. Constitution, and said, we are going to decide how elections work. This case is not only critical to election integrity in North Carolina, it has implications for the security of elections nationwide, Tim Moore wrote in a press release. Opponents say allowing state legislators around the nation to ignore their state constitutions could lead to rig elections and potentially the end of democracy itself. <laughs> that That's the irony of the, I how, how often do you find that what different Democrats are saying as they want to get their way is actually 180 degrees diametrically op- opposed to the truth, yet they utter it as if it is the truth. Go look up the North Carolina Constitution, Article 6, Suffrage and Eligibility to Office, over and over and over again in this section of the North Carolina Constitution concerning election law. It gives the administration and authority to the state legislature, the General Assembly, to decide how elections will be run. I mean, there's no way you can read the North Carolina state constitution and come away with it and say, well, it's the uh, North Carolina Supreme Court that ought to decide. It's the judicial branch that ought to decide. No, it makes it very clear that it's the General Assembly that decides elections, that oversees elections, that makes election laws. And further, it also, in the North Carolina constitution, makes it very clear the separations of power. In other words, Judiciary, you stay in your corner, you stay in your third, the governor will stay in his third, the executive branch, and the General Assembly will stay in their third, and the Constitution spells out who does what. Liberals don't like that. Now, they liked it fine when they were in charge, but they don't like it now. The case specifically about gerrymandering, Last year, Republican lawmakers drew new political districts that would have likely led to Republicans winning 10 of the 14 U.S. House of Representatives seats in North Carolina. They tossed those maps. Now, what's really going to be interesting is how many will they win after they toss those maps? I got news for you. It's going to be a lot. It might be more than 10. The way this election is going, they might win all 14. (sighs) This is interesting. Let me let me read this in its entirety. This is out of an article from the News and Observer. The case is specifically about gerrymandering. Last year, Republican lawmakers drew new political districts that would likely lead Republicans winning 10 of 14 U.S. House of Representatives seats in North Carolina, even if they lost the popular vote statewide. Do you get the inference of that? Do you get the inference of that even if our congressional candidates lost the popular vote statewide, we would still win 10 of 14. Is there an inference there that's that basically, because we know Hillary Clinton wants to get rid of the Electoral College, and let's just go with a popular vote. Is the inference there that we ought to have a statewide popular vote, and that's how we would decide which party gets to send their candidates to Washington, D.C. to represent this, the state in Congress? I mean, that's the inference. Uh, we do not elect members of Congress by the total popular vote. It's district by district, congressional districts. And, and the Democrats are saying Republicans want to change the rules? I don't think so. Wow.
Town Hall's reporting Harvard University's Undergraduate Student Association voted 14 to 1 to allocate funds for a group of students traveling to the Supreme Court next week to protest in favor of affirmative action. The High Court is scheduled to hear oral arguments in cases next week over the constitutionality of affirmative action admission policies at Harvard University and UNC, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. In one of the cases, Students for Fair Admission versus Harvard, a group of Asian students alleged they were not admitted to the Ivy League University over its race-conscience admissions policy. The Harvard Crimson reported that Harvard Undergraduate Association voted that the Harvard Affirmative Action Coalition received $2,700 to help subsidize meals for a group of 90 students attending demonstrations at the Supreme Court. The group reportedly secured funding for transportation and lodging through the NAACP's Legal Defense Fund. I think that's uh, what what you might be calling uh, paid protesters. The $2,700 in funds for meals takes up nearly half of the $6,000 budget, well, I'm sure, of the Harvard uh, Undergraduate Association. Again, NAACP apparently is uh, helping to bail that out. Um, Consider this, though. Uh, By the way, the Harvard Fix is saying the students will participate in activist training the weekend prior. That's wonderful. So what are they going to burn down when they get there? What what do they teach them in activist training? How to to light a uh, Molotov cocktail? How to punch out a cop? Uh, By the way, a new poll released just this week found the majority of Americans do not support college admission policies that factor in race. But consider this. Harvard and UNC Chapel Hill, as they defend themselves, and the NAACP as they come in with their amicus briefs, front of the court's briefs, trying to defend Harvard's and UNC's policies. The issue, especially at the Harvard School, is that Asian Americans are getting the boot. Asian Americans, uh, somehow or another, they don't count. The Harvard case in particular gets to the heart of the problem when the current use of racial preferences because it spotlights how affirmative action for black and Hispanic students largely comes at the expense of another racial minority that has itself historically been subject to discrimination, Asian Americans, says the attorney and policy writer Dennis Safran, writing in Newsweek. Evidence presented in Students for Fair Admission versus president and fellows of Harvard College, showed that Asian enrollment at Harvard would be up 50% higher if affirmative action was eliminated. Asian applicants received the lowest scores on a vague personnel rating assigned by admission officials in Cambridge who have never met them, even though local alumni interviewers rate them as highly as other students, leading to the construction that they are being discriminated against based on their race alone, he added. Edward Bloom, who brought forth the case against Harvard and UNC Chapel Hill, told the Washington Post that affirmative action admission policies go against the Constitution and counteract the progress made in civil rights movement. One critic told the Post that Bloom is clearly on a mission to roll back the gains of civil rights movements that are the platform of our multi-ethnic, multi-racial democracy. But wait a minute. 
So Asian Americans don't count when it comes to having a multiracial democracy? Uh, Apparently not. Apparently that's not part of the mix. And you know why? I'll tell you why. Because for the most part, Asian Americans live by the mantra, hard work, really hard work will allow you to succeed. That's not how, that's not what they want to hear. That's not what liberals want to hear. You know, it's not like the, the latest ideology that you hear coming from the left all the time. I mean, there was just a story last week. I can't remember who they're referring to. It might have been Herschel Walker. That conservative black men and women aren't black. It's no longer about race. It's about ideology. I mean, what, what did Joe Biden say? If you don't vote for me, you ain't black. In other words, it's if it, you're black if you've got a progressive ideology. If not, you're, it doesn't count. But again, the idea that they're going to come out and say Asian Americans are not a racial minority, they're not a part of the multiracial dem- democracy. And again, get this. So, it, you know, it used to be it was it was your your SATs, your grade point average in high school. It was also what did you do outside of just your academics. But now they're having this personnel personal rating, which is basically, okay, you're going to go in and you're going to fill out a little paperwork and we're going to do an interview, which is, you can, Harvard can have any kind of outcome in that depending upon who does the interview. And so they come out and they say, well, we're sorry. You know, everybody went through the same system. We all did this rating deal. We all submitted our grades and we all looked at our our SATs and ACTs. And and then we also had this personal rating. And sorry, the Asian Americans just time and time again couldn't cut it. Yeah. In other words, this, this is their way of getting around the fact that everybody's on the same playing field. That's what they're trying to say. Everybody's going through the same process. Some make it, some don't. This is exactly what their version of affirmative action is doing. Can't make it up. Hey, we're going to take a time out. Stay with us. Lots more news and views for Friday coming right up. This is your Drive at Five and ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in News and Views for a Friday. Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul Pelosi, was attacked in the middle of the night last night in his home. A uh, individual came in and beat Paul Pelosi with a hammer. The spokesperson said the speaker and her family are grateful to the first responders and the medical professionals involved. They request privacy at this time. The San Francisco Police Department said in a statement to Fox on Friday, October the 28th, 2022, at approximately 2.27 a.m. San Francisco, police officers responded to the 2600 block of Broadway for a report of a home break-in. During the incident, the 82-year-old male victim was attacked. And the suspect was taken into custody. Police are expected to provide a further update at a press conference later this morning. Two sources with knowledge of the investigation into the attack told the Associated Press that Paul Pelosi, 82, was severely beaten with and suffered 
blunt force injuries. Again, it's uh, now been updated that he was beaten with a hammer. I, now, listen, I, I hope Paul Pelosi can recover. I just, this is, there's something curious about this, though. Uh, I, 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 I don't want to speculate too far, but there's just something very curious about this. Why, why would this individual come in and attack Paul Pelosi? And it sounds like the way this story came out, that the assailant was immediately arrested as if he waited around for police inside the home. That's, that's the impression I, I get as I read this story. Special agents with the U.S. Capitol Police's California field office quickly arrived on the scene while a team of investigators from the department's threat assessment section was dispatched from the East Coast to assist FBI and San Francisco police with a joint investigation. The law enforcement uh, agencies will provide more information when it can be released. Uh, Again, was this strictly a breaking and entering? Was this a robbery? Or or was there something else? And obviously it's nefarious. I'm not not saying there was any excuse for this at all. I'm just saying it's, it's curious. What was the motivation? Why was this individual so easily apprehended after the event? Just asking. So Joe Biden was uh, being interviewed by next star Washington correspondent Rashid Hudson on Thursday's edition of News Nation's Rush Hour. So they got talking, they were talking about a lot of different things, but they got talking about inflation, particularly about the high cost of food. You'll be happy to know that Cousin Eddie, Joe Biden, has a solution for the high price of food. Here's Joe's solution. And we're doing a whole lot of other things. And by the way, the food prices, the main driver of food prices is not the price of beef and eggs, et cetera, although they're up. It's packaged goods packaged goods. You're going to see people not buying Kellogg's uh, Raisin Bran, which you're going to see them buy another Raisin Bran, which is going to be a dollar cheaper. I mean, so what's happening is there is real movement. We're better positioned than any country in the world, any major country in the world. Because we have other selections of Raisin Bran. <laughs> what a goof. I, folks, I listen, there's been people that have buy, been purchasing the cheaper versions of Razor brand, Raisin Bran for decades, Joe, and their budgets are accustomed to the cheaper versions of Raisin Bran long before you got into office. Guess what? The cheaper versions of Raisin Bran, they've gone up too. They've gone up by the same percentage as the Kellogg's has, maybe more. This guy is unbelievable. I mean, remember when when Joe Biden, I mean, when uh, Barack Hussein Obama? No, it was actually Bill Clinton. I mean, it, it, it happens every time a Democrat's in there. And they were taught when Hillary Clinton wanted to, um, you know, do do her version of uh, Obamacare. And uh, Bill Clinton said, hey, uh, you know, I'd, I'd pay a I'd pay an extra two dollars for a pizza. At Godfather Pizza, I'd pay extra $2 so people can have life insurance or health insurance. I mean, it's, it's that kind of garbage. It's only a buck. What does everybody want? Why, why are you worried about the high cost of food? It's only, a, you know, you, you save a buck by buying the cheaper raisin brand. 
These people are tone deaf and brain dead. Fortunately, the American people are a whole lot smarter than our president. And they're sitting there listening to this garbage and rolling their eyes and saying, yeah, that's why I'm not voting for your party a week from Tuesday. Speaking of the election, despite Stacey Abrams doubling down on her voter suppression claims, I mean, has she ever let up? Has she ever let up since she lost the election the first time to Brian Kemp four years ago? But she continues, oh, voter suppression. The White House, the White House, I mean, they they came out earlier this week and said, you know, what's her name? Corrine Jean-Pierre came out and said, you know, don't let the numbers fool you. Just because there's more blacks voting, uh, it has nothing to do with the fact that uh, there's not voter suppression. Despite Stacey Abrams doubling down on voter suppression claims earlier this week, numbers from early voting show that a higher share of black voters in Georgia are turning out in the midterm elections than in 2020. According to now again, Stacey was complaining about the 2018 election when she ran and lost to Brian Kemp. According to figures from the United States Election Project, black voters make up 30% of the early votes cast so far, three percentage points up from the 27%, uh, which was uh, in 2020, while the share of the white vote in Georgia has remained steady at 57% in both elections. Peach state voters have cast 1.4 million votes so far, almost double the amount of the votes cast at this point in the 2018 midterms. Abrams, the Democrat nominee from Georgia's race for governor, repeated warnings of voter suppression in a press conference earlier this week, despite Georgia smashing early voting records from past midterm elections. Listen, after she loses, uh, you talk about election denier. I mean, this is Stacey Abrams all over. After she loses, she will be election denier 2.0, and she will still be complaining about voter suppression. If she can't win, it has nothing to do with the fact that she's an up-and-up Marxist. It has nothing to do that Warlock is an up-and-up Marxist. Democrats have decried Georgia's Republican past election integrity law as Jim Crow 2.0. But in the midst of record-breaking turnout in Georgia, Abrams and the White House now say it is possible for voter suppression and high turnout to exist at the same time. Oh, yeah. How, how, how did these people get where they are? How does now I, I you know, I understand that they're lying through the teeth. I understand that they don't really believe that. I understand all that. But still, how did they get where they are? And again, if these people were not Marxist and were not being supported by Marxist causes, and those people with money that are Marxist, it goes back to Al Sharpton having his own gig on MSNBC. The guy can't even put two sentences together. And yet a national cable news network gives him his own show. Granted, he's gone now, but whew. PJ Media is reporting the Insider Advantage poll has Dr. Oz ahead 47.5% to Fetterman's 44.8%. 
Oz's lead is still within the poll's 3.6 point margin of error, but nevertheless shows a momentum clearly on Oz's side. Insider, insider advantage had Oz and Fetterman tied last week. Fetterman was up by three points in September. So that's basically almost a seven point shift in the last month. Uh, speaking of Oz and Fetterman, I want to do a little uh, inside uh, football pool here. Um, except we'll, we won't bet on football. We'll bet on who gets the largest crowd. Fox News is reporting Biden and Trump are both going to hold rallies in the same state during the final weekend before the midterms election. Biden is expected to rally with former President Barack Hussein Obama on November the 5th. Get out of here. Get out. Out, out, out. Trump holds a <laughs> Trump holds a rally the same day in western Pennsylvania for Mehmet Oz. Again, same day. Now, uh, by, by the way, Kamala and uh, Cousin Eddie are going to go to Pennsylvania today. They'll be up there tonight to help Fetterman. Now, remember, it wasn't, it was back in the 2020 election, just two years ago, that Biden and Harris showed up for a campaign rally in Arizona. I think it was Prescott. Might have been Phoenix. Same ballpark. Nobody showed up. Literally, nobody showed up. Now, granted, they were not the president and vice president at the time. But uh, who do you think is going to have the larger crowd? Who do you think is going to have the larger crowd? Now, there's a reason why they chose Philadelphia for their rally. I mean, that is that is the most liberal part of the state. I mean, that's no coincidence. But uh, how how much larger do you think the Trump crowd will be than the than the Biden crowd? Ten times, I'd say that's a fair number. I'd say uh, ten times. That might be that might be underestimating Trump's crowd. If if Biden. I mean, I, I cannot see Biden attracting 2,000. Now, they're not going to report on the numbers. That's the problem. You'd have to sort of guess at it based on crowd shots. But, you know, the bottom line is when they have these rallies at a Biden rally, they never show the crowds. They never show the crowds because nobody's there. When Trump has the rallies, the mainstream media never shows the crowd because the crowds are so large. Can't make it up. Arizona gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake implied she smelled a rat after a TV station she once worked for posted a graphic showing her losing to Democrat Katie Hobbs nearly two weeks before Election Day. The graphic showed Lake down 53% to 47% with nearly 2.4 million votes in. It appeared at the bottom of the screen for 30 seconds during a report on high rents in key Arizona cities. Polls, in fact, have Lake up by anywhere from 3 to 11 points. Yet, during this, oh, it was a mistake. Oops, we're sorry. Oh, that wasn't supposed to happen. Nonetheless, for 30 seconds, during primetime news, on the local news, they put up a graphic showing Carrie Lake losing to the Democrat. 
Um, from Lake, she said, whoa, right after my press conference going after media. Earlier in the day, Lake had attacked the media for jumping on a report on a Monday night burglary at Hobbs's campaign headquarters. And the implication was, oh, this was this was Carrie Lake's fault. In fact, the Arizona Democrat Party put out a statement. Make no mistake. This is a direct result of Carrie Lake and friend Republicans spreading lies and hate and inciting violence. And it's despicable. And of course, They've since arrested the guy, and the guy had, had he wasn't related to any campaign anywhere. He was some foreign immigrant that was trying to breaking and entering. By the way, the uh, Arizona Democrat Party has not come out and apologized for that statement. But again, th- so they put this up for 30 and Listen, I, this is less than two weeks from the election. And does it have any implication? I mean, look, there's a lot of morons out there that would be glancing at that graphic and say, huh. I mean, how many people go out on election day and say, I'm going to vote for the winner? And you know what? I saw that uh, Katie Hobbs on the news the other night, I saw Katie Hobbs was was beating Carrie Lake. I'm going to vote for Katie Hobbs. And listen, I, I, listen, if you listen to this program, I know you're politically savvy. But there's a lot of morons out there. They, they vote on I'm going to vote for the winner. They want to be able to say on November 9th, hey, my gal won. My guy won. And again, oh, it was a glitch. Oops. Once again, a mistake happens to make the conservative come out as the loser and the progressive come out as the winner. Never seems to happen the other way around, does it? (laughs) Hey, we said we're sorry. What do you want from us? We said we're sorry. Always happens. We got to take another time out. Stay with us. More news and views coming right up. Back to news and views. Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Uh, before the break, I was talking about that attack on Paul Pelosi out in San Francisco overnight. Uh, Washington Examiner has just released a story saying that during the break-in, while a motivation for the attack is still under investigation, but during the break-in, the intruder asked, where is Nancy? Now, no more information other than that. But I, 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 I said it was, it was curious. Uh, that makes it even more curious. Jonathan Turley is reporting Senator Bob Menendez from New Jersey. Remember, he was under investigation a few years ago because he had he was accused. Now, he, he got off, but he was accused and some pretty uh, strong evidence against him. He was accused of taking bribes. There was a uh, Florida eye doctor that uh, basically gave him Menendez close to a thousand or a million dollars in contributions and gifts. Uh, the trial ended with a hung jury and the charges were dismissed in 2018. Now he is being accused again, um, almost identical again. Uh, you know, it's interesting. These uh, um, politicians get away with it and get away with it, and get away with it, and they think they're impervious to 
you know, for going to jail. That is never going to happen because we've gotten away with it so many times, and each time it gets larger and larger and larger. ABC and other news outlets have confirmed the new investigation. Reports indicated the investigation raised similar allegations to the 2018 case. Uh, What's interesting is Jonathan Turley points out that he was um, involved in a case where Jonathan Turley was defending his client, a federal judge by the name of uh, Judge Thomas Bertoas. He was in an impeachment trial. The charges were laid out before U.S. Senator Robert Menendez, who said, engaging in a corrupt relationship and as part of this corrupt relationship, solicitation and acceptance of numerous things of value, including meals, trips, home repairs, car repairs for his personal use and benefit, while at the same time taking official actions that benefited his friend, Menendez was resolute. He stood up in front of his colleagues, declared that receiving gifts ranging from free meals to wedding gifts was plain and simple corruption. Menendez now, I I, I don't think the judge was found guilty, but Menendez did vote guilty on this guy. Uh, It's just rather curious that Menendez would not give. Now, I'm not saying the guy was innocent or guilty. I don't know anything about this judge and his taking of bribes, but Menendez was resolute that he was going to take this judge out. Yet Menendez, uh, when it came to him, nah, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with taking a little gift here or there from a friend. Daily Wire is reporting Glamour Magazine, Brazil, I guess there's a Glamour Magazine, Brazil edition, announced the winners of their Generation Glamour Awards this week with a roundup of honorees featuring two biological men, including an influencer named Lynn da Cobrada, who brought home Woman of the Year. Cobrada does not identify as a woman the way many trans do. He said, I'm not a woman, I'm a transvestite, he told Globo Television Network presenter Petro Bile. Let's be honest, there's no such thing as a woman, he said. The prize winner went on to justify his stance by listing several Portuguese words that have ambiguous or subjective meanings. Apparently, they speak Portugal down in uh, Brazil, among other things. Um, Quabrata identifies as a gay man or a transvestite, a commonly used term in Brazil to describe men who dress like women. That's what you used to call them up here. Um, the influencer became famous after appearing on Big Brother Brazil, Brazil. He also participated in a photo shoot um, using a prosthetic pregnant belly, saying he dreamed of getting pregnant and becoming a mother one day, according to an Instagram post. These, these people and these comments are so bizarre that in any other situation on any other planet or take us back 15 or 20 or 30 years ago, for that matter, 10 years ago, we would have said, these comments are so ridiculous, this person has got to be a jokester. This person cannot possibly be serious. And yet at the same time, you, you see what's going on in the world, and you say, no, they are serious. And yet if you roll your eyes at this, and I'll give you exhibit A of what I'm talking about in just a second, if you roll your eyes at this, ooh, you're unkind. You're mean. You need to be punished. 
That very thing happened just recently in Vermont. Fox News is reporting a Vermont middle school soccer coach and his daughters were suspended allegedly for complaining about a biological male claiming to be a female undressing in front of the other girls, girls, not other girls. This guy's a guy, Uncle Albert and all in the girls locker room. Randolph Union Middle School soccer coach Travis Allen was suspended without pay by the Vermont School District for expressing his discomfort over a 14-year-old biological male sharing the same locker room with his daughter Blake and other females as they all got undressed. Have you? And by the way, um, so Travis was suspended without pay from for just complaining about this. Have you ever noticed if some progressive breaks the law or does something like this? Oh, well, he's suspended with pay. Quote, I made a social media post, said Travis Allen, the father, and referred to the male student as a male. Oh, how novel. I was punished because I misgendered him. The daughter, Blake, said she complained to the school about a male in the girls' locker room. Nothing was done. Quote, I was in the locker room with a biological male. You walked in and the rest of the team was there. I was really uncomfortable. I left. I told the school and they just shut me down that there was nothing they could do. I was later suspended because I voiced my opinion that a male shouldn't be in the woman's locker room. Blake added that she was all was told to participate in a restorative justice circle and write an apology to the male. <laughs> yeah, these people are serious. I said I would rather, good for this girl, good for this Blake. I said I would rather have a five-day suspension than I have to apologize because I'm not sorry. Blake said her classmates have been supportive but are too scared to speak out because of the backlash. Where are the parents? My gosh, where are the parents in this? Why aren't they outraged? Uh, are, are they scared too? My gosh, I would be up there kicking down the doors to the principal's office. Yeah, I'd be arrested. Lawyer Tyson Hoffler, who has represented Travis and Blake Allen on behalf of Alliance Defending Freedom, great organization, and filed a lawsuit against the school for allegedly retaliating against Allens for simply stating their views, stating the facts. The school district, they reiterated, they, I'm sorry, they retaliated against both Blake and Travis for just simply stating their views. And First Amendment retaliation is prohibited by the Constitution. That's very clear. The government cannot retaliate against individuals for simply sharing their views. Their views, their biological truth. <laughs> I mean, yeah, okay, you can call it their views. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not knocking the uh, folks at uh, Alliance Defending Freedom, but it's the truth. They're trying to force their ideology down everyone's throat and then punish anybody that has a different viewpoint, said the dad. Uh, it's unconstitutional. It's not only unconstitutional, it's immoral, and it's unconscionable. And this is the craziness we live in. Which is crazier, what's going down in Brazil or what's happening up in Vermont? We'll be right back.
as the clock here we go again counts down the american people are going to have an opportunity this fall to november 8th to give a midterm report card the rhetoric character assassination is heating up they don't really care about facts and truth i have never seen an election cycle like this one it's whatever is going to make the opposition look bad midterm election coverage happens here we are taking our country back the game of politics gets exposed and this is eastern carolina's place to talk with tom and benny on news and views on talk 96.3 and 103.7 closing things out for the week an edinburgh texas homeowner was hiding in her bedroom with her children and an intruder came into the house 36 year old carlos garcia he broke into the woman's home The women and her children decided to hide in the bedroom. He came to the bedroom door, started pounding on the door, at which point the mom said, hey, I've got a gun. Garcia refused to leave. Uh, They found him a short time later out in a field with a gunshot wound, bleeding. He's now recovering in jail. (laughs) I love this kind of story. Keep it up. Protect yourself. You got to do it. Have a great weekend. We'll do it again on Monday at 5 o'clock. We'll see you then. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.